Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. I want to start with just a quick little review. We're in this series, Wisdom Under Fire. And I just want to stop and remind ourselves the difference, once again, between wisdom and knowledge. Again, a clash of cultures is is part of what we're looking at. And in this culture, knowledge is right up there in terms of valued, honored thing. And it's a good thing. But, you know, hey, if you want a future, got to get a high school degree, college degree, maybe a master's degree. Knowledge is your key to the future. And there's nothing wrong with knowledge. But by itself, it's not all that valuable. Because it's not what you know that matters. It's what you do with what you know that matters. Um, in the same way, our Christian culture, uh, we, we tend to value knowledge way up there as well. It's like, what do you know? Uh, what's your doctrine? What do you believe? How much do you know about God? It's kind of checking the boxes to say, hey, do, I, do I know enough about God? And again, it's not what you know about God. It's how you live out what you know about God that matters. So that, uh, that's kind of a precursor. I want to give you a definition of wisdom that I think uh, speaks to that. Knowledge applied to do right, to make right decisions. So wisdom is taking the knowledge we know and applying it to make right decisions. And why is that connected to God? Well, simply put, God's the author of wisdom. God, God knows uh, you intimately. He knows everything intimately. He created all things. So if we want to know how life runs right, how to make the right decisions, how to make the right choices, it depends on a connection, a relationship with him to do it. Otherwise, we're just stabbing in the dark. We've got all this knowledge about life and God and, hey, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to... Well, if you're connected to him, he gives you that wisdom. And here's a couple of verses that kind of talk to that. First Corinthians. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So right from, I mean, Jesus becomes our wisdom. As we connect to him, he directs us. He takes whatever we know and applies it so we can know what direction to go in life. That's wisdom. And in James, I think it's James. Yeah, James. 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So God wants to give us wisdom. Maybe another way to put that, he wants to give us direction. He wants to give us a way to apply what we know to make life run right, to have a a full life. Um, And then finally, this verse, which has been one of my favorites, but it took on a whole different meaning as I prepared for this talk. So I want to highlight this. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know, I talk to college students about this all the time. But it doesn't say, notice it doesn't say, always be prepared to give a defense of what you believe. It doesn't say always be prepared to defend what you know about God. No, it says always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's in you. Well, we have hope because we have a relationship with God. So that's what we get to defend. And that's so much more inviting didn't ask us to be on the offensive, asked us to be on the defensive. When people see that we have this connection, they're going to ask questions. And we just got to tell them, well, this is why. Because this, this is the hope I have in God. Um, so, 
That's a little review. Um, this week, we're talking about perseverance under fire. And another key word, perseverance. Really important in understanding the book of Daniel, but also a key word in understanding our own walk with Christ. Perseverance. Um, let me start with what it is not, because this is kind of how I thought about perseverance for a long time. Perseverance is not simply surviving. It's not just enduring or making it through tough situations. Um, perseverance is much more than that. Uh, I've got a uh, little definition here. Perseverance is actually an active, consistent, disciplined lifestyle. It's a day-to-day way of living that gives us perseverance. In fact, here's a surprise. With perseverance, with that characteristic, we can actually thrive in difficult situations, not just survive. And we're going to look at in just a couple minutes here, you'll get a clearer understanding what I mean by this, but perseverance and trials actually may be two of the most important ingredients to us having a rich, full relationship with God. may sound a little strange, but hang on, we'll, we'll unwrap that. Um, anybody out here, I didn't get much response to first service. Let's see how I do here. Any of you make New Year's resolutions this year? Any of you? Oh, I see a hand. A couple, three. Oh, gosh, awesome. Younger people, <laughs> because if you're like me, uh, I used to do New Year's resolutions. Then I gave up after a while because I never seemed to follow through on them very well. Well, what's the, uh, what's the key ingredient to, shall we say, persevere with those resolutions? Um, if, you, if you think about it, um, perseverance... What, uh, well, how do I put it? Uh, well, let's look at, uh, well, let, let's put it this way. 50% of people make New Year's resolutions, and about 10% actually follow through. So what's the, what's the missing ingredient? What is it that keeps us from staying in the game, if you will? Well, speaking of staying in the game, I don't know if any of you are NBA fans. I'm really not. I shouldn't say I'm an NBA fan. I'm really more of an NBA playoffs fan. I don't watch the NBA games very often, but when it comes to playoff times, oh my gosh. Um, the very few more talented athletes, I think, uh, on the planet than NBA people during the playoffs. They just do things that are unbelievable, whether it's taking three-point shots or unbelievable moves at the basket or, or hitting free throws when the, you know, it's, it's critical time. But here's the deal about the great NBA players. It's not those games that make them so great. It's the time they prepare for those games that make them great. Because they have an active, consistent, disciplined, practice mentality. The ones that make it. I mean, we kind of make fun of sometimes number one draft choices that bust out. And if you look at some of those number one draft choices that didn't make it, most of the times because they were incredibly talented, but they didn't have that consistent lifestyle discipline that allows them to display their gift and do it under immense pressure. Uh, the playoffs, there's nothing more pressurized than 20,000 people and millions of people watching you. But if you practiced every day, one more shot to them. Uh, Kobe Bryant, one of the Easily one of the greatest players ever played. Uh, Marcus Smart is a guy who, I can't remember what team he played with, but during this year's 
playoffs, they had an interview with him, and he played for the L.A. Lakers four years ago when he was a rookie. And they asked him about Kobe, and he said, well, I learned a lot from Kobe, but here's, here's probably my biggest lesson. He said, well, first year there, rookie, had a road trip to Chicago, regular season, and we were in the elevator together coming down to the lobby, and uh, Kobe says, well, what are you doing today? What are you doing tonight? Oh, I got friends in Chicago. I'm going to go hang out with my friends. No, you're not. We're going to the gym, 500 shots. <laughs> because Kobe knew that if he wanted to perform, if he wanted to be seen as great in the game, he had to begin with what he does before the game that makes that possible. So I think there's a way to translate that to our own walk with Christ. Um, I want to take a little quick side trip to a parable because this parable, I think, does an amazing job of um, bringing to light what perseverance really is about. Uh, Parables, Jesus told a number of parables, um, a way to kind of illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. And I'll just set the scene on this one and review it really quickly. Just imagine there were, I don't know, 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 people. Jesus always had a huge crowd around him. And he would speak to the crowd in parables. And this one, you may be familiar with it, Sower in the Seeds parable. It was in Mark, Matthew, and Luke, which tells you something. Three of the four Gospels must be kind of important. Well, here's how, here's how it went to the, to the crowd. Jesus said, hey, a farmer went out to sow one day, and as he's sowing seeds, some fell on the path, some on the hard ground. The birds came and ate it up, and it didn't make it. Some seed fell on the rocky soil, and it sprang up immediately. But the sun came out and scorched it, withered, died, didn't produce. Some seed fell on the thorns. The thorns grew up, but weeds grew up with it and choked the plants. And they didn't produce. They didn't make it. And then some seed fell on the good soil. And then it produced a crop of 30, 60, 100-fold. And then he walked away. (laughs) I mean, the crowd's kind of, okay, and? Tells this amazing story. Well, fortunately, we get the benefit of the disciples, the closer ones to him, maybe more than the 12, maybe the ones that were closest to him, walked with him as he left the scene and said, hey, great story, Jesus, but what, what were you talking about? What's the point? And so then, well, he said one thing first. He said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of them? And then he went on to explain in more detail so they could understand what the parable's about. That's what happens when we're connected. If we walk with him, he gives us more understanding. But I love that, I love that picture. Um, well, I, I just want to look at the second soil. This is the one that falls on the rocky soil. And here it is, Mark 4. It said, Some fell on the stony ground or the rocky ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Kind of a strange way to put it. Immediately sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. So that's the demise of the second soil. But why didn't it make it? Why didn't it persevere? What killed it? Well, it says right there, the sun killed it. sun came up and killed it. But wait a minute, I thought the sun was supposed to be good for plants. Well, the sun is awesome for healthy plants, but it's not so good for unhealthy plants. And it's the last part of that verse that tells us what made the plant unhealthy, where it says, because it had no root, it withered away. Everything else of the plant looked really healthy, sprang up, but it had no root or root 
in itself, a root that went down. Well, I want to tell you a real-life story, because shortly after my wife and I were married, maybe three years, we moved to Spokane. We rented this house that clearly they had a really nice garden in this house, so I was kind of excited. Never had a garden before. And it was big, I don't know, 20 feet long, 15 feet wide, big garden plot, kind of elevated and had really a thick, dark, kind of black soil, about you know, soft. I mean, I just put my finger down there. It's like, this is going to be easy. <laughs> so we well, bought all sorts of stuff, you know, corn, peas, beans, rhubarb, whatever you plant in a garden. Planted it easy, just put it in the soil. It's, this is great soil. And sure enough, sprang up really quick. And I watered it every day, took care of this thing. And maybe a month later, I mean, the plants were getting, hey, we're going to start having produce here anytime. This is, this is going to be awesome. Corn on the cob, we don't need to go to the store anymore. We're going to save lots of money. And then one weekend, I don't know if it was Memorial Day weekend, maybe it was 4th of July, but we left town for three four days. Came back three or four days later, excited to get back to my garden, and it was essentially dead. The plants had completely died off. Why? Well, because I hadn't bothered to go any deeper than that three inches of really fertile soil that caused the plants to grow up. Because underneath that was really almost rock-hard clay ground that I didn't bother to till up. So as I watered it every day, all the roots would just go out really shallow. So when the sun came out, it didn't take much to dry up the entire plant two, three days of temperatures like we're having today will kill those plants. So that was my story (laughs) of my garden. Um, So what does that root represent? Well, the root is really a a synonym, I would say, for relationship. Uh, If we don't have a root that goes down, if we don't have a relationship, then all of our knowledge, all that we know, all that we experience isn't going to help us when we get into tough times without that root that goes down. Here's Jesus' kind of further explanation as he's telling the disciples about this soil. He says, Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word, at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. So he talks about the importance of the root, but he also now equates the sun that he talked about initially to trials and persecutions, tough situations in our life. When those happen, you get withered away if you're unhealthy. If you're a healthy plant, just like the sun, those situations should help us. Uh, We can grow during those times if we have roots that go down, if we have a relationship. Um, Well... The reason I get I identify so much with this soil is because I was that soil, clearly. I was a kid who grew up, when I was younger, we went to church occasionally. My parents got divorced, hit middle school, really just kind of swore off church, didn't bother to go back, didn't have much relevance. Got into high school, kind of resisted anything about God. And finally, I think it was like the very start of my senior year on a dare, I went to a Young Life club right up the street from for me, at a girl's house I really wanted to go visit. So I went to this club by myself and was blown away. I saw God in a way I hadn't seen him before. I was that rich soil that really loved what I heard. And I came every week, and I loved it. And it was that summer, 
just after I graduated, I went to this camp, Malibu Club in Canada, where I got to hear about it for a whole week. And that's where I embraced it, received it with joy, and immediately sprang up and was excited about this new life with Christ. Then two months later, I came to WSU, joined a frat, and I withered and died in about two months. Why? Same reason. I was fine as long as the conditions were right. I was fine going to this meeting, going to that thing, but I hadn't gotten below that rocky surface. Well, for me, that rocky ground or that hard pan ground underneath that fertile soil, for me, it was self-control. I could label my rock. Because I wanted, I wanted a relationship with Jesus, but I also wanted the college life. I wanted to do both. Why couldn't I do both? I wanted to call the shots on what I did. Hey, I really want this, but I also want this. I had a foot in both worlds. And that was my rock that kept my root from going down. I love the idea of Jesus being my Savior, but I kind of want to call the shots. That was me. You know, for you, for others, it may be a habit you're unwilling to give up. It may be a relationship that's not healthy, but you don't want to lose it. It may be an obsession with career and money. Um, could be good things. But whatever keeps us from allowing us to have a connected, deeper relationship, um, that's what that looks like. So I want to... Uh, talk for just a minute about the nature of trials and perseverance, how they work together again. A couple of verses for you. One in James 1, 2 to 4. This always seemed like a really strange verse when I first read it. Maybe you had thought the same thing. Maybe you still do. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. So you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So now we see this connection. Consider it pure joy. Well, yeah, if you're a healthy plant, you need the sun. You need those things that challenge our faith if we're a healthy plant. Um, another verse, Romans 5, 3 to 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. Hope does not disappoint. There it is again, hope. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So there's again the connection. Why should we? Because it's our pathway to growth. It's our pathway to maturity. We need those challenges. But if we're healthy, those are the things that help us grow the most. I don't know about you, but for me, and I look back over almost 50 years of saying yes to Jesus, that I, clearly the times I've grown the most were the times that were most challenging. The times I thought, I, I, I just don't want this experience in my life. But as I stuck with him and as we went through those times, those were the times that I grew the most. You may have found that to be true too. I would guess those of you that are walking with Jesus for a while, probably nodding your heads going, yep, that's, that's true. Don't want to repeat those, some of those things. But clearly, those are the times I grew the most. Um, well, now we get to Daniel. Yes, we, we're actually going to talk about Daniel. We're just going to look at one story, Daniel 3, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is their son. This is their fiery furnace, their trial that they get to see what happens uh, when the sun comes up on their life. 
Of course, we, we know the background. All three of them and Daniel got taken out of their hometown, captive, made to serve a foreign king who destroyed their land. Um, that's their situation. Well, <clears throat> easy. Uh, well, let, let me just paraphrase. They, Corbin did a great job of setting up two weeks ago. We're going back to that story. But these three and Daniel not only resolved, purposed in their heart, made up their mind to follow God, but they persevered during their time there. They had this ongoing relationship, day-to-day relationship with God that enabled them to handle their fiery furnace. Well, two weeks ago, we kind of ended the story with Nebuchadnezzar having had this dream that disturbed him. And he called all the wise men in the country and said, uh, hey, I need somebody to interpret this dream. And they all said, hey, well, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. He said, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to trust that. If you really have a gift of interpreting dreams, then tell me what my dream was and interpret it. And, of course, they said, nobody can do that. That's beyond anybody's ability. And Daniel wasn't even a part of this conversation when Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, then death sentence. I'm going to kill the wise men of the country if no one can do this. Well, Daniel gets word of this, comes to the Nebuchadnezzar and says, give me 24 hours because I'm going to consult my God. God can interpret it. He didn't say I could. God can interpret this dream. So he went and prayed with his three buddies, came back to Nebuchadnezzar the next day, said, here's, here's your dream. He said, you saw a large image with a head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar, you're that head of gold. Your kingdom, God has made the most powerful kingdom on earth. You're the head of gold. After you, there'll come another kingdom who's represented by arms and chest of silver. That would end up being the Medes and Persians who conquered Babylon. And then below that will be chest, waist of bronze, which would end up being the Greeks that conquered them. Then there'll be iron, legs, which would end up being Rome. And then at the bottom would be iron mixed with clay in the feet. And that was Rome when it was divided into ten kingdoms, became weaker. He said, then, then you saw carved out of a mountain a stone not carved by human hands that hurled and crushed the feet and destroyed the image. He said, these are kingdoms that come after you, and that kingdom will never be destroyed. That kingdom with a stone carved not by human hands will last forever. That was the dream. Nebuchadnezzar says, we'll praise this God that interprets dreams, elevated Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God came through, victory. And then, next scene, Nebuchadnezzar kind of has more than just a big head of gold. He got a huge head about that. He's thinking, my gosh, this God of Daniel tells me that I am the greatest. I'm I'm godlike. So he has ordered a 90-foot image of himself. Let's make it all gold. I mean, I don't know if you can imagine what that would cost, but what that would look like. I looked it up. Brian Towers, maybe 110. So just knock Brian Towers down a little bit. Top of a hill, 90 feet tall, pure gold, shining in the sun as you walked out. That would be overpowering. But then he said, everyone will be ordered to worship 
this image when the music is played and all of that. So that's what he did. And then some of his advisors that really had it in for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Hebrews that shouldn't even be there, but they're, they've been elevated to high levels of power and influence. They came to Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, those Hebrews, they refuse to worship your image. They refuse to bow down. Nebuchadnezzar goes into a rage and calls the three in, and this is what he says. Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready at this time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, lyre, and psaltery, whatever that is, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you should be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will now deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to him, I just love this. I mean, just picture this in great calm. They're not upset. They're not disturbed. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, we have no need to answer you in this matter. But if if that is the case, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. I love that. Their answer had almost nothing to do with consequences, circumstances, what would happen to them. It's not like, well... We better do this or this will happen. They didn't even think about that. Their decision was totally based on trust in a relationship where they had with God. And they even considered, hey, God can deliver us. He may well. He'll definitely deliver us from your hand. But hey, even if he doesn't come through, even if we perish, we'll not serve your God. Um, that was their response. Well, clearly Nebuchadnezzar didn't like this. So Nebuchadnezzar flies into a deeper rage. And I love this part. He takes some of his mighty men of valor to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, carrying them up to whatever platform they were supposed to toss them into the furnace. And he says, heat up that furnace. And it was seven times hotter than what it started out. That's got to be really hot. So hot that these mighty men of valor that were carrying the bound three up the tower, up the platform, perished before they even got there. The fire consumed them. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell into the furnace. And then this is what Nebuchadnezzar says. He was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. The form of the fourth is like the Son of God. <laughs> I love that. Nebuchadnezzar clearly is telling us, I wish I could have been there, although I wouldn't have understood it then, but I understand it now. He's describing Jesus. The Son of God is in the midst with them. I love that image. He's joining them in their trial. When I read this story, when I thought about it, I thought about a video I'd seen many years ago. Maybe some of you have seen it. 
1992 Olympics, Barcelona. Um, this is a story of Derek Redmond, who was one of the guys favored to win the 400 meters. And I think we have a video clip that I'd love to share with you. I love that. Love that image. We have a God who doesn't sit in the stands hoping we do okay in the trials of life. We have a God who comes out of the stands at the time we need him most, at the time we're struggling the most, maybe stuff's just happening, we wonder if he's even there. I love that image, that God will wrap his arm around us, say, hey, we're going to finish this race together, because this is about relationship. I don't, I'm not asking you to perform for me, I'm asking you to walk with me. That's God's attitude in whatever situation that we're in. Um, another verse here, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, the perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory of the revelation of Christ. Um, that's the image I kind of want to leave you with when you think about perseverance and trials and relationship and how God works with us in the midst of everything that we're doing. Um, but I want to end with this thought that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did say, but even if not, you know, we, this, this story happened to end in their deliverance, but that's not always the case. Death sometimes is the issue, but it's not so much how we die or we're all going to die. It's a matter of how we live, how we choose to live life. And what God asks of us, we don't know necessarily. But in the first century, time of that first century church, they were under great persecution. Many thousands, millions of martyrs of that church. And even today in our world, there are believers all around the world that are face loss of life, loss of job, just for saying, I'm not going to serve another God. Um, Eleven of the twelve disciples died martyrs because they refused, because what mattered more to them was relationship, um, regardless of the consequences. Um, <clears throat> well, end with this question, what is your fiery furnace? What's the sun look like in your life? You know, it may not be a life and death situation, but here's what I'm convicted of, convinced of, that every trial, large or small, reveals the condition of our root system. And it's also a great opportunity to grow if we will embrace that. If we go into those situations in life with knowing that he's with us, that makes all the difference. Um, so we're going to move to a time of communion, if you can get that out. And as we do this, I want to leave you with three questions to think about, pray about, maybe in your own personal time this week, maybe with a spouse, your family. Um, so here, the, here they are. Number one, what is your root structure? What's it look like? What might be blocking your root? I kind of gave you my story, what was making it hard for me to really develop a root that went down. What might that be in your life? Um, do trials tend to strengthen you or do they weaken you? When trials happen in your life, is that a time where you grow or not? And finally, what are practical ways that you can gain perseverance? What can I do to to develop my root structure. Um, again, it's, if you think about MBA greats, 
It's just that day-to-day focus on relationship, not performance. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.